Hi there, I'm Arithonet, and today I'll be trying my best to talk about some of the arguably iconic TV adverts that helped shape my childhood. So before I go any further, I feel like I need to explain why I'm making this particular episode now, because this is definitely more chilled out, conversational episode than what I was originally going to record today. So, if you'd have asked me about four days ago what episode three would be about, I would have said that it would be all about Stan Twitter, and particularly the relationships between queer male pop fans and their favourite artists. However, as I was writing it, something just stopped working, and I felt like I wasn't sure whether my notes were credible, I wasn't 100% sure on my sources, so I decided to give that episode a rest, at least for this week. It might be next week's episode instead, or... It might be a later episode, or it might end up just getting scrapped altogether. I don't know about that. So because that episode was very research-heavy, and it needed a lot of academic energy, as weird as that sounds for an episode about pop stands on Twitter, I felt like I should instead record something a bit more relaxed, a bit more chill, something comfier. And somehow I was led to adverts. <laughs> Now, when I say adverts, I know I've got some people listening who are based in the US and might be confused by that. Adverts are commercials. There's your US to UK translation. Or oh, the other way around. They got it wrong. So, I have a lot of nostalgia over TV adverts. Probably just as much as I have for the programs I used to watch. Which, to some people, that might sound really strange. But I've reached a stage in my life where I don't really care if people find that strange. I, I like having my interests and quirks and weird points of nostalgia. I think it makes people better rounded. I think it's made me better rounded. So one of the things I have a big nostalgia for is TV adverts. And today, I'm going to talk about some of the biggest examples of adverts that made younger me really freaking hyped. Yes, I was hyped about adverts at a young age, not just an old one. I've always just found advertising to be really cool in practice and as a concept, so I find it fun getting into a rabbit hole about even one of them. So, if you have lived for a while in the UK, or you were born in the UK and lived there your whole life, like yours truly, consider this episode to be a joyful trip down memory lane. And if you are not from the UK, or you didn't grow up there, consider this a form of education. <laughs> I am going to educate you about some adverts or commercials that absolutely slapped back in the day and still hold up now. What I've also done is I've left all of the ads that I mentioned in this episode in the description of the podcast. So if you want to, you can listen along to the podcast and then actually watch the ads I'm talking about and see what little 10-year-old me was so hyped about back in the day. But that's optional. You don't have to do that. You can just listen to this without ever having seen the adverts in your life. I can I can try my best to describe them, but I would personally recommend giving them a watch. It's a fun experience. But either way, strap yourselves in, everyone, because you're coming with me to look at the great world of advertising. So one of the reasons why I get so nostalgic about advertising, particularly stuff from the 2000s, is because I find that the ads I see nowadays aren't as inspiring. Part of me is concerned that I'm just turning into a boomer and I want everything to just be like they were back in my day which uh, that's not true in all aspects, let me tell you that. I am very happy to not be in that same place today as I was when I was little. But I do think that there are some really awesome ads that come out nowadays. It's just that because I don't watch as much live TV, I never really get to experience a lot of ads as they were intended. Like, 
actually watching them in the middle of programs. I'm usually looking at them when they get posted on advertising news websites. One, yes, that's a thing that actually exists, advertising news websites. And two, yes, I do go on them. It is fun. Next question. (laughs) Now, there are some nice, pleasant ads that I really enjoy seeing in 2020, but there's also your fair share of duds. Sometimes it feels like the duds get worse every year. Repetitive life insurance ads that can't seem to find any other structure. Ads with babies that talk with Uncanny Valley CGI mouths, because why the hell is that a thing? And of course, the most patronising slices of family life you could possibly imagine. Those are the ads that I'm happy to not remember. But this episode is not about ads that I don't remember. This episode is about the ads that were so memorable that I occasionally go into deep dives about how they were made, the impact they had on sales, the significance behind certain choices made within the ads. I go deep into it. Because what else am I to do? We're in a global pandemic, and there's only so many times a month I feel comfortable going out to buy snacks or treat myself to a new doll while having to suffer through a horde of people who don't understand that, yes, the pandemic is still a thing, and you need to keep your bloody distance and your mask on. You see, it's kind of paramount that I not think about that too much. (laughs) So, when I go in on an ad-centric nostalgia binge, I go hard. So one note about this episode is that I will not be covering any Christmas adverts on this episode, because I think that Christmas adverts deserve an episode to themselves, because they are equally as interesting of a topic. And it's September, so we're not doing that now. But, you know, around November time, we might dive into that puddle. That's that's a possible future episode. We will also not be talking about any public service announcements in this one, because, oh boy, I'm not even sure if I want to go into those. I I have to say, I have this weird fascination with reading the TV Tropes page about public service announcements and, like, that kind of stuff. And part of me honestly thinks that's enough. That's enough uh, squick for me, I think. (laughs) Also, I really want this episode to be something fun and comfortable, so I don't really want to get into any heavy stuff today. This is going to be fun. This is going to be an enjoyable ride through some of my favourite advertisements. It's going to be light and fluffy, so enjoy! So, the ad we're going to start this episode off with is a car commercial. Now, in this section, I'm probably just going to say car commercial a lot because it sounds more cool and sexy than saying car advert. So, yeah, that's the one for you Americans. I will say commercial for this whole segment, mostly. If I'm being honest, I see very few car commercials that actually inspire me because it's incredibly easy to make them just as formulaic as possible. Like, I can only count a couple of genuinely memorable car commercials because it's always, like, the same subject. It's like you're either driving across a sweeping landscape or it's like a generic excerpt of family life that happens to be set in a car. Occasionally you'll get the ones that have cool music and more stylized visuals. Thank you, Fiat 500. But for every one of those, there are at least 10 other ones that are as bland as eating a piece of chalk. I swear the next agency that puts out a car commercial with a slowed down twee version of an old song being sung in the fucking whisper register. Yeah. That agency will be receiving a very strongly worded letter from me. Consider that a warning. (laughs) So, we've established this as a market where ads are as formulaic as they could possibly be. So when an exciting one appears, it's even more exciting. And in 2006, Citroen made one of my favourite car commercials ever. I mean, the pool of worthy competition isn't huge, but I'm not going to knock their achievement. They did something good. Round of applause for Citroen, everyone. 
So this ad was made to promote the newest model of the Citroen C4. You'll have to excuse me. I know next to nothing about cars. It, it's not my wheelhouse. But the name of the car is the Citroen C4. And this ad is called Alive with Technology. So let's set the scene. I, hmm, I don't have video on this podcast, do I? So I'm going to have to do a lot of describing to make up for it. Or what you could do is you could follow the links in the description and watch along as I describe it, which, you know, that'll be good because it would save me a lot of work. So, you know, options there. (laughs) But if not, let me describe it. A silver car on a rooftop parking garage turns into a transformer and starts dancing. That's the ad. I have high standards. So the thing I love about this ad is that it's just so different from what the rest of the market's putting out, and uh, part of me thinks you kind of have to admire that. But also, as a kid, I just thought that this ad was really cool. I liked the whole mechanism of the car being a transformer. I was always very fascinated by the different parts of the body and how they turned into different parts of the car. I wasn't even really interested in like the actual Transformers most of the time. I was more concerned about dressing up my sister's Bratz dolls and making them look ready for the runway. So this happens to be the most interesting piece of Transformers-related media I've ever seen. And yeah, I realise that's probably going to be a controversial statement, but that is the truth of the matter. What are the fans going to do? Fight me through the screen? You can give it a go if you want, but it's not going to work. Like, I know this isn't even officially a Transformer, as it's just kind of based on one, but I found it way more interesting than trying to keep up with actual Transformers. Because this ad, to me, made actual cars seem vaguely interesting for once in my life. The Citroen C4 isn't even a particularly nice-looking car, but it can dance, so it basically outranks all the others, right? I'm kidding, I had a pretty firm knowledge that this was CGI, even with my little child brain. But it does show that sometimes in order to make your car known, it helps to have a distinctive ad campaign that isn't like the rest of them. No one else did a dancing car as far as I remember. And the ones that didn't do with the dancing car, well, I don't remember most of them, do I? They're not getting mentioned in this. And what's interesting is that a lot of car commercials just will not deviate from their regular formula, which I find beyond bizarre considering that the only ones I ever get nostalgic about, or I ever hear about in retrospect, completely counter the established formula. It's weird. I'm not sure if it's like a market research thing or something to do with aiming the ads towards men, or like the agencies just found out that car commercial need to be like this, which like, fair enough, do what the research tells you. But the way I see car commercials is that it almost doesn't matter if it doesn't have an impact. My parents have never bought a car because of an advert, and it shows, considering the rest of the market's advertising offerings. Car commercials just kind of sit there, proclaiming their existence. And they don't really grab your attention because they aren't really designed to. At least, except for the ones that have dancing cars. But I would be remiss if this were the only interesting car commercial I talked about in this episode. Yes, there is more than one. Let's talk about an advert that released in 2007 and decided to take the formula of your average car commercial and be like, no, we're going to play by our own recipe. And play by their own recipe, they did. So, Skoda decided to not show their newest model of Fabia car in their new ad. Instead, they decided to make a cake shaped like one. And that's the whole commercial. The whole thing, it's just watching this team of white-suited, home economists and sugar chefs make the different components of a Skoda Fabia out of completely edible material. 
we're talking cake, sugar, rice krispies, jam, fondant, licorice, syrup, marzipan, chocolate, mints, and jelly mix. It is mesmerizing. And it's all set to Julie Andrews' My Favourite Things. One big thing about this ad that I love, again, is that it's incredibly unique for a car commercial. And it's almost hard to believe that something like this was even made, considering the, the actual car itself doesn't feature in it. So it, it technically bypasses what you'd usually expect for a car commercial, bare minimum. I'm sorry, this entire episode has just been one giant diatribe against car commercials. I deeply apologize, especially if you happen to work in industry. But this this Skoda ad is so unexpected and brilliant. There hasn't been a single car commercial they've seen that's even come close to it. The charm of it is really in the process because you're essentially watching a showstopper challenge on Bake Off, but, you know, without any of the intensity that goes into watching one of those challenges. So it's a little more calming. (laughs) It's just watching a group of professionals make a cake and different elements of that cake, which happen to all come together to make a Skoda Fabia. From a technical standpoint, it's incredibly fascinating. I recently just finished a course in computer animation at uni, and one of my favourite aspects of the course was getting to make 3D models of real-life items. So seeing pastry chefs making little windscreen wipers and tyres out of fondant it gives me a similar joy. Dare I say it's also a little reminiscent of the whole illusion cake trend, which has haunted the memescape during the past few months I'm sure you'll have seen, though I still have an healthy admiration for it. That wasn't grammatically correct drink for that (laughs) but my point is things that are actually made of other things are cool I just find that really cool especially miniatures and smaller items like you know the windscreen wipers the cogs on the engine those little bits and pieces really make it in 3d modeling and in real world practical effects I'm sure if you listen to my episode on cats you'll know about my admiration for practical assets and here we have another example of practical assets with little need for CGI intervention in this very ad. Like with Baby Yoda, none of this would have really been as exciting if it weren't real, if it wasn't right in front of you, if it didn't look and feel like a real thing on the screen. That is the charm of this ad. A real cake, shaped like a real car, built right before your eyes. Another aspect of this one that I really appreciate is the music. Apparently, according to some behind-the-scenes details for this ad, They went quite near to the knuckle with getting the music rights, and they actually had a cover version of My Favourite Things as a backup just in case they couldn't get the rights to the original. But what's pretty awesome is that Julie Andrews actually gave the ad her seal of approval once EMI gave the go-ahead for the song to be used. Honestly, I don't think the ad would have worked as well with the cover version. I just think that there isn't really a better version of the song to use than the Julie Andrews version. It just adds to the whole atmosphere of the ad as this calming, enjoyable, light and fluffy ad where you can just appreciate the craft. So, I for one am very happy they got the rights to the original. So, this ad, the Skoda Cake ad, won quite a few awards in the advertising industry, which is going to be a recurring theme for a couple of the ads I talk about today. It won a Gold Lion at the Cannes Lion, the International Advertising Festival, Gold Awards and the Creative Circle Awards and the British Television Advertising Awards, and perhaps the most prestigious honour, and the one that will really stand out for the test of time, this ad has its own Wikipedia page. (laughs) It's really the big leagues for advertising. And right now there are only 45 British advertisements with Wikipedia pages out of like, 
I don't know, hundreds and thousands, possibly millions. And funnily enough, only two of the ads I'm talking about today have Wikipedia pages. One of them is this one, the Skoda Cake ad. The other one, I'll be saving till the end. But before that, I want to take a minute to talk about Sony. No, this is not a sponsored segment, but just a really convenient and topical transition. So Sony is a huge company with a lot of different branches and subsidiaries that are well known to consumers. So you'd expect that at least a few of them would have good ads. Honestly, there is kind of a precedent for Sony having some great ads with the PlayStation side of things, putting out some really interesting stuff. The Walkman division, if that's still a thing. The mobile division. But today I'm not going to be talking about any of those ones. I'm going to be talking about Bravia. Now, Bravia is a television subsidiary. Whatever, did I say that right? Subsidiary? I hope I said that right. I'm a professional. I'm not allowed to mispronounce things. But it's a television-making subsidiary owned by Sony. And fun fact, it stands for Best Resolution Audiovisual Integrated Architecture, which I literally just learned today while I was looking this up in my notes. Isn't that crisp? I just thought it was a cute word they made up. But the thing I really appreciate about their advertising, other than the cool background, is that they have this overarching advertising campaign, which is usually what a lot of brands go for nowadays. But they have it in a way in a structure where the individual adverts are their own little pieces of art. The ladder, that ladder thing tends to be what makes a quote-unquote iconic advertisement. This method is one of my personal favourite ways for companies to advertise, because you can have an overall concept, but executed in different ways. So then the ads just don't all blend together. Like, when you think of like the Compare the Meerkat adverts, you generally think, oh, I like those adverts. But you aren't generally drawn to one single one for being a great standalone piece. It's like the difference between a Greta Gerwig film and a Fast and Furious sequel. And... The model that I've been talking about is the model that Sony used for their Bravia ad campaign, and it worked a treat. They had a couple of different ads that came out, spanning from 2005 to as soon as last year, 2019, but not all of the ads are necessarily well-remembered. We're going to focus on two of them. So, the conceit of the Bravia ads, at least these initial ones, was colour like no other, and the first ad to demonstrate this was named Balls. This ad is a 2 minute and 30 second piece showing a compilation of shots of 250,000 colourful bouncy balls, real colourful bouncy balls, going down a San Francisco street in slow motion. Now, that description sounds very chaotic and probably a lot more intense than I'm intending it to. The ad is not really intense at all. It's actually very calming with the slow motion visuals and the music, which is Heartbeats by Jose Gonzalez. The visuals are bright and vibrant, but the atmosphere is almost dreamlike. There's this grace to the way that it's all happening on screen. It's one of those ads where you're really impressed by it, but it also leaves you with a lot of questions, like how many cars got their windows smashed, or how the hell did they clean this up afterwards? And sadly, I only have the answer for the last one. The answer being they blocked every drain on the street, and they put up big golf nets at the end of each street that they were filming on. Oh, and they had 50 interns on hand to pick them all back up. For all six of the takes they shot for this ad in the course of four days. Those poor interns. This episode is dedicated to every single one of those interns for having to go down a San Francisco street in full California heat 
to bend down and pick up all those balls. I salute you. <laughs> and in, a, in the world of discussing iconic advertising, which again does exist, <laughs> it's almost inevitable that this is one of the ads that comes up in conversations because it's just that damn good. This ad got multiple parodies, the song from the ad was in the top 10 of the UK charts, and it still sustains a pretty excellent reputation in the industry. So why isn't this one my favourite Bravia ad? Okay, Balls is my second favourite Bravia ad, and then my third place choice is the one with the claymation bunnies, because, you know, claymation bunnies, I'm not going to say no to that. But the one Bravia ad that I enjoy the most, and I have the most nostalgia over, comes to us from a place a little closer to home. My home, at least. It was shot in the UK. Glasgow in Scotland, to be precise. I don't live there, but it's closer than San Francisco. So I think that joke worked. This ad was the second ad in the Bravia campaign, continuing that, that same theme of colour like no other. But this one was something a little bit more bombastic. This ad is called Paint, because it involves paint. Lots of it, in fact. 70,000 litres of environmentally friendly paint, may I add, as part of 1,400 separate explosions across this abandoned tower block. The explosions are all choreographed to the soundtrack, which is the overture to Rossini's The Thieving Magpie. And I have to apologise for my piss-poor description of this ad, because it is far more majestic than I'm making it out to be. This is why you need to click the links in the description and watch the ads, because my descriptions are never adequate as much as I try. <laughs> It haunts me to this day that I can never describe things right. So I'm, I'm still going to continue describing it because I may as well. It starts out very excitingly with all of these timed explosions on this housing terrace all going with the music and it continues and continues and it all builds up quite happily and then it all stops. A clown runs by for some inexplicable reason and then we get the climax. The music thuds back in from the bottom of the tower block all the way up to the top. Dum, 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 dum. Every floor explodes with colour, one after the other, making it this rainbow of paint building up to the rooftop. And it gets me hyped every time I watch it. And if you think that's sad, you can keep that opinion to yourself, because it is incredible. <laughs> and then it's just explosion after explosion after explosion on the ground level as the soundtrack plays out. And finally, the ending shot. The falling residue of paint coming down onto an abandoned playground. Like rain. It's a beautiful cool down for an exceptional advert. Now, if y'all did gender reveals like this, maybe the world wouldn't be on fire. <laughs> okay, maybe that was a bit far. But this ad is just a beautiful, bombastic, brilliant demonstration of colour in an explosive way that doesn't result in devastating property damage. By the way, the tower block and the terrace used for this ad were going to be demolished anyway, and they did get demolished the air after the ad was filmed. Everything was above board, as far as I know. <laughs> so I want to briefly touch on the director of this ad, because he's got a really fascinating resume. So the director of paint was Jonathan Glazer, and he's done all sorts of different work, such as the Guinness Surfer ad, music videos for Radiohead and Jamiroquai, and even feature films such as Under the Skin. But I know him for two other things. One of those things is the 2015 set of Idents for Channel 4 over here in the UK, which were these strange abstract films that were used to introduce programs like Countdown. <laughs> they didn't really go with the programs very well. 
but they were great. They only lasted two years before being replaced, but I liked them. I liked the weird, creepy dancing shaman, but if I saw him down the street at night time, I'd probably start running. And then the other thing I know Glazer for is this ad for Cadbury's Flake, an ad that got banned from airing on television. <laughs> and to this day, there's, there's still apparently legal repercussions for showing it and publishing it online. That being said, it is online. You can look it up online, but you didn't hear that from me, okay? Yeah. I'm also not linking to that one. You're going to have to look that up yourself because I don't want to get sued. But that ad <laughs> in the words of the Pope, or the Pope, because he saw it. <laughs> I'm kidding, he didn't. In the words of the Pope, feature a lascivious devil character throwing flakes at virginal women who gorge on the chocolate in a sexually suggestive manner on like the steps of an Italian castle, from what I can tell. He's got this King Charles II wig on, he's got no top on, completely painted red, in tight black leather trousers. It is by far one of the weirdest adverts I've ever seen. And I'm not surprised it got pulled by Cadbury. But I think it's a damn shame that the public never got to see this in the middle of Coronation Street. <laughs> so I like chaos, clearly. <laughs> So with all that in context, out of everything that I've seen from Jonathan Glazer, paint is definitely his most normal, and I suddenly have a lisp. <laughs> so it's definitely his most normal out of what I've seen. It, it's not, it's the most not baffling at least, but it's still got this whimsy and this fun to it, and it slaps. I don't say that for every ad I watch, but this one just gets you hyped, it, like, especially with that big rainbow tower explosion. And that's why it's my favourite one of the Bravia ads. Yep, a discussion that absolutely nobody asked for, but that's what I wanted to bring to the world today. You're welcome. Now I'm going to take somewhat of an interlude to an ad campaign that wasn't really significant from an awards or industry perspective, but was significant for me, Ari Lynette, the host of this podcast. So I'm putting it in, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Not that you would. <laughs> but this is an ad campaign that started in 2008 for Fox's Biscuits, the maker of many a great biscuit. And this is the point where I realise as I'm writing my notes that the language used in this section of the episode might be confusing to international viewers. When I say biscuit, I don't mean the American biscuit, like the ones you get at Popeyes, but like a cookie. In the UK, the general term is biscuit and only very specific ones are called cookies. It's a weird system, I know. But Fox's does make actual cookies, like chunky chocolate chip ones, and then things like Crunch Creams and Viennese Melts, which we'd class as biscuits. So there's your US to UK translator, again, making a lovely recurring appearance. Uh, give this podcast a like if you want to see more from the translator. <laughs> okay, so... In 2008, the UK was introduced to one of the biggest fans of Fox's Biscuits, and his name was Vinny. He's a panda, but because there's a candy company in the UK also called Fox's and they have a polar bear mascot, the agency had to make Vinny different enough from a typical bear. Therefore, Vinny is actually a dander, which is a cross between a dog and a panda. But visually, this is so indiscernible. You just assume he was a panda. He's shaped like a, a big teddy bear, bless him. So, here's what you need to know about Vinny. He is a massive fan of Fox's Biscuits, possibly the number one fan, which he pronounces biscuits. 
that that's his pronunciation of it. He's also got the personality of an Italian gangster with a passion for the finer things in life. He buys his shoes from Italy. He buys his furniture from France. And he buys his biscuits from foxes right here in the UK. His hobbies include sitting in his black leather chair to talk about his affinity for the craftsmanship of the humble crunch cream, which honestly is a big mood. He's also not above threatening the British public to buy the new range of cafe thins. Not to mention sometimes he'll have a guy balled up in a rug. But don't worry, that's just his dry cleaning. <laughs> Nothing to report here. But as a youngin, I have to say, I was a big part of his fan club. Like, if I stand anyone, it was Vinny. He had his own Facebook page, and I was very active on it, talking to him and enjoying his quips. It was a lot of fun, and it helped that this was such an engaging account for an advertising character. It was all a really enjoyable experience, and that's that. I have no complaints whatsoever. In fact, there were two instances that were above and beyond. So one of them was quite small. It was when Foxes launched their new Amber's biscuits, which were delicious, by the way. I don't know if they still make them. If they discontinued them, we're going to be having a fight because they were gorgeous. <laughs> and clearly I wasn't the only one who liked Amber's biscuits because Vinny liked them so much, he named his racehorse after them. A real racehorse named Amber's. A two-year-old filly, to be exact, who participated in real races. Not sure which ones, because I know nothing about horse racing. Again, not in my wheelhouse. But Foxes entered this horse into a couple of races and opened up an opportunity for fans to win biscuits. If you were a part of Vinny's racing syndicate via the Facebook page and Amber's won a race, you could win some biscuits. So I, I was a part of the syndicate because I was already quite active on his Facebook page. And I won a pack of Amber's biscuits. And that was awesome. I got to try them. They were lovely. And I wish they still made them. But that wasn't the only time I received biscuits from Vinny. Let me set the scene. 2009. I was in Cuba with my family on a holiday. I couldn't have been older than 10. For the past year, I'd been engaged pretty actively with Vinny's page. And as far as my little 10-year-old brain was concerned, we had a camaraderie. We had a rapport. I knew that obviously Vinny was a CGI character and I wasn't actually talking to him, probably just some social media manager, <laughs> but somehow I must have made an impact. Because one day I went to an internet cafe to check my Facebook. Yes, I was on Facebook at the time, even though I shouldn't have been, but you know, it's over 10 years ago, so there isn't really anything we can do about that. So yeah, don't tell a Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> but I'd received a message from Vinny asking me for my address so he could send me some biscuits. I consulted with my mum because I was a responsible child. And she was like, yeah, sure, go for it. So I sent over my address. A few weeks passed by. I'd come back to the UK by now. And I'd pretty much forgotten about the whole thing. One morning, I hear a knock at the door. The postman is here. He's handing over a huge box to my dad. We open it, and it's a full shipment of Fox's Viennese melts. Full. My social media camaraderie with a CGI panda had earned me this. I was shocked. My family was shocked. But that's not all that happened today. Oh no. About an hour passes. We're reeling from this amazing surprise of free food. Another knock at the door. It's the same postman with another huge box. This one is full of Fox's cookies, fruit nut chunkies to be precise. They were the new product that had launched around that time. 
So I apparently done enough in positive social media interaction that it somehow warranted me earning two large boxes, like store shipment boxes, full of biscuits for free. If it sounds like I'm making this up, well, I don't blame you. And if you have any doubts or skepticisms about it, I probably don't have sufficient answers for them. I, I can't provide any physical evidence because we ate it. it. It took a while, but we got there. My mum probably has the pictures of me holding the boxes somewhere because damn right we took photos. It was a big deal. And that was probably the most rewarding parasocial relationship I've ever been a part of in my life. Sorry to all my Instagram friends. <laughs> I hope that whoever ran that Facebook account is living their best life right now. I know life is hard, and especially with this pandemic, it's important to show appreciation for the people doing their jobs. Whoever did that job did it really well. And no, it's not just because I got free food out of it. But for younger me, who was kind of not really feeling amazing about themselves, especially with school and not having a good experience with it, they made me feel like I was properly appreciated by a company and like they gave a shit about the immersion of their promotional activity. Like they actually cared about it. And that was amazing. So good old Vinny gets a spot in this podcast. Hope he's doing good. And now the end is near. And so we face the final ad campaign I'll be talking about in this episode. <laughs> it is the other rat in this episode with its own Wikipedia page. And it is arguably, some say arguably, I'd say definitely, one of the most iconic advertisements in British history. If you're listening to this episode and you are British, it wouldn't surprise me if you're expecting this one to come up the whole time. And now I'm here to say that yes, we're going to talk about Cadbury's Gorilla. If you don't know it, let me once again set the scene. Picture a purple music studio. The camera pans to the eyes of a gorilla. The opening of Phil Collins is in the air tonight is playing. As the chorus starts, there's a good 50 seconds of footage focusing on this gorilla. He's preparing for something, waiting. The camera slowly zooms out. He's sat behind a drum kit. It's all played completely serious. You see him. He's almost preparing for something, breathing in deep stretching his neck and getting ready for the chorus to end and do 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 he's drumming along he does the famous drum solo from in the air tonight with this primal energy and it's just such a cathartic relatable moment of joy and that is exactly how it was intended by its creator so with this ad i wanted to talk about the backstory of it which i just find endlessly fascinating at the time cadbury was going through a tumultuous period of time Sales were going down, they weren't appealing to, as much to the younger generation, and they were in the midst of a salmonella scandal. All was not well in Chocolateville. The pitch for the new advertising campaign was, in short, to get the love back. This is a brand that is synonymous with chocolate in the UK, and a little bit of that love had been lost. Now was the time to remind people why they loved, why they bought Cadbury. So... It was Juan Cabral who wrote and directed Gorilla, and he's also been a huge part of Sony's Balls and Paint ads. And Juan's vision was to create a piece that was essentially a moment of joy, like eating a chocolate bar. In his words, a brand needs to go to the heart and not to the brain. Gorilla is, in those 90 seconds, trying to take you somewhere, 
at the time, Cabral was the creative director of ad agency Fallon, who had worked on the Sony ads. He pitched Gorilla to Phil Rumble, who was Cadbury's director of marketing. He loved it. The problem was that if you look at Gorilla from the perspective of an advertising formula, on paper, it's got a ton of red flags and four piles within the industry. It doesn't feature any chocolate. It doesn't have the Cadbury name on it until the very end when you realize it's for dairy milk. It lasts one minute and 30 seconds, three times longer than an average ad. And most of it is just a gorilla staring off into the middle distance. Not to mention that there isn't really a clear message. If you look at the stats, it's easy to understand why senior stakeholders didn't like the idea of airing it. They were already in a troublesome period and they didn't want to take such a risk. So the ad premiered in August of 2007, though it had been completed in April, a month after the initial pitch. It was unclear whether this ad would air at all. According to The Guardian, Rumble was told at one point that basically you were never showing this ad. But he persevered. The ad went through a lot of testing to demonstrate why it was so effective. And eventually the ad was scheduled for release during the final of Big Brother. I never watched Big Brother when I was that age, so my first time hearing about this ad was on GMTV, which is a a breakfast program, just in case anyone doesn't know, back in the day. It was a segment where I believe Kate Garraway was talking about this advert and how it was such a weird, fun ad for chocolate. But it wasn't just GMTV who caught wind of it. All of the newspapers were talking about it. It was racking up millions of views online, and everybody wanted to know about this gorilla. Was it real? No. Then who was in the suit? No, it wasn't Phil Collins. (laughs) Speaking of Phil Collins, his star profile got a boost from this ad, with In the Air Tonight reaching 14 in the UK singles chart, solely on downloads years after its release. It also won a heap of industry awards, like all the ones I mentioned for the Skoda Cake advert, but it got possibly the most prestigious prize in the advertising industry. Other than a Wikipedia page, it won the film Grand Prix Lion at the Cannes Lions in 2008. Gorilla was a massive success, not despite its industry-dictated shortcomings, but because of them. This wasn't an ad telling you to buy chocolate, it was an ad giving you a moment of joy that was a bit like eating a bar of dairy milk. And rightfully so, Cadbury continued with this strategy for their next set of ads, which would be the new pieces from Glass and a Half Full Productions, as they called it. Gorilla was the first in that series of ads. This is another example of that overarching campaign with standout individual pieces that I liked about the Bravia campaign. Because I, I think the whole campaign of Glass and a Half Full Productions is great, but I definitely have more nostalgia, or at least the most nostalgia, for the first two ads in the series, being Gorilla and then later Trucks. Now, most people don't share my love for Trucks, the ad, which was the follow-up, the highly anticipated follow-up to Gorilla. And it's probably because it didn't have that same impact. That, that's why it didn't do so well. But I just really love that ad too. <laughs> but absolutely, in terms of sheer impact, the Gorilla ad is the one that has a place in people's hearts and in advertising history. So that's the one that goes in the episode. Recently, I heard people talking about this video on the internet. It was a reaction video featuring these twins who were reacting to Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight for the first time. And on one hand, I was like, oh, that's cool, they're discovering some real classics and reacting to them. But on the other hand, I was like, how the fuck have you never heard this song? How do you not know In the Air Tonight? And I started to realise that maybe it's just that the US never got to see the gorilla ad. 
like even before Gorilla, I knew about quite a few Phil Collins songs, mostly because of Tarzan and like the radio would play a few of his songs too. But for me, it's like I can no longer imagine a world where any one person doesn't know In the Air Tonight because of Gorilla. Like in my mind, they're just always going to be associated with each other. But now I realize that might just be a British thing. Though I think the ad did air in other countries. I don't know. Let me know what you associate with that song, whether you know the song or not. I'm curious. Let's make that a point of discussion. All right, Buttercup, let's round this mother up. We have made it to the end of the episode. So this was not the original plan for episode three, but as far as I'm concerned, I think this was a fun little escapade of an episode, even if it was drummed up at the last minute. Get it? drummed up because drumming gorilla i'm trying my best with the puns here please let me have one good pun in this episode just the one pun that goes down well i hope that's not too much to ask all right call to action time i'm curious about which quote-unquote iconic ads or adverts or commercials or whatever you call them which ones are you nostalgic about are you nostalgic about old adverts Is this just an incredibly niche subject that I'm begging my followers to give a shit about? (laughs) Please do let me know, whatever the answer is. It would be a lot of fun to talk to some people about it. If you don't want to talk to me about it, that's fine too. Maybe next week you'll want to talk about the topic I've discussed on episode 4, whatever that's gonna be. (laughs) So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, which will most likely drop on a Saturday, all things considered. If you happen to be listening on a platform where you can leave reviews, leave a review. I would love to see that. And check the description for direct links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube channel, and all of the ads I've discussed in this episode, just in case you didn't watch them during the podcast. I'm not judging, but they're there. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you come back for some more niche rambling in the future. And remember, life is hard, but all you can do is try your best. See you next time.